Let's pray. God, thank you and praise you for the day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love for us, oh God. And I, I think I've said that every time I've prayed tonight, but your grace and your mercy are ever abundant and ever present, Lord. And, and I don't ever want to take that lightly. And we're so grateful, Lord, because you didn't, you didn't have to save us. You'd be perfectly just in condemning us all. But because of your love for us, grace is there and mercy is extended. And so I'm just amazed by that, Lord. We see by the words of Solomon what life is like without you, Lord. And uh, it's not good. So I thank you, Lord, that you've made yourself available to us, that we could have a right relationship with you, Lord. And, and I'm, I'm just blessed by that tonight, Lord. Grateful for the opportunity to gather with the saints and to study your word as well. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just to review before we get into the chapter, what the kind of what the book is about, and I, I know we've got some new people that haven't been with us uh, so far. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, uh, he calls himself the preacher, meaning he has something to declare. And the word, the, um, the, the writer Solomon is the wisest man that has ever lived, as said by the word of God. And so when he's got something to say, generally, it's probably a good idea to listen, right? E.F. Hutton, is that who that was? When E.F. Hutton speaks, you listen, right? Showing my age now. And, uh, um, but, uh, when Solomon speaks, listen, because he's the wisest man that ever lived. The book of Ecclesiastes is written near the end of his life. Uh, he wrote the book of Song of Solomon early on in life when he was newly married and fresh in love, and you can see the passion in that, and you can see uh, his heart in that. And then he did that a thousand more times, <laughs> walked down the aisle, 700 more times and then didn't even bother with the wedding for 300 other girls. And at the end of his life, those girls sadly brought him away from his love for the Lord that he had. Yeah. And, and now we see the book of Solomon or the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of at the end of his life where he's assessing what life is outside of God. There's the phrase that's repeated throughout the book, under the sun. What life is like under the sun. And the idea behind that is that he's assessing life, he's looking at life without God. What life is like purely in the physical. And he being the wisest man that's ever lived can properly assess that better than you and I actually could. And not only was he the wisest man, he was also the richest man that's ever lived. And so all those things that we think we would want to experience in life, he did. He's been there, he's done that, he's got the t-shirt. He's got a whole wardrobe full of the t-shirts of all the experiences that he has experienced in life. And now he's still writing at the end of it. He's like, he tried it all. We talked about how he brought in peacocks and apes for fun. He had his own gardens. He had his own... There was nothing that he put his eye to that he did not allow himself to experience. And he says, it's all vanity. It's all irrelevant. It's all worthless. So let's trust in that. 
So that's kind of where we left off with chapter 2. Picking up in chapter 3, we, we get the idea that he has explored now everything, and he's summing it up in verses 1 through 8. In verses 1 through 8, for those of us who are over 40, and maybe some of the other ones who walked by a oldies radio station, heard, have heard this, sung by the birds, right? Jarvis, 67, sound about right? I think it's about 1967, the birds, although I don't think they actually wrote the song, they, they, they're the ones that made it famous, but I think somebody else actually, and uh, it was the birds, I do know that, but uh, Pete Seeger wrote the, yeah, Pete Seeger wrote the, but the words, pretty much chapters one through eight, nice, yeah, brownie points for art. Solomon wrote the lyrics, pretty much. There's only, in fact, there, um, for those of you who are like, what are you talking about? There, there's a song, uh, to everything, turn, 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 there is a season, turn, 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 and uh, yeah, so it goes on from there. Google it after we're done, and you can get to hear it, and it'll be fine. But the, the song is... Chapter verses one through eight, other than at the very end when he says that there's a time for peace, or time for war, and a time for peace, the, the one thing that they add is, I pray it's not too late. And, uh, and I think, you know, considering the time that it was written, 1967, Vietnam War, and all, all, this, all this stuff going on, that was the context in which they were referring to it. But what's interesting is, I don't think that was Solomon's context. I don't think that's what... The birds turned it into something almost pleasant. And I don't think that's what Solomon was trying to say. Let's read it, and then we'll talk a little more about it. To everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. And so what we're going to see here, we'll continue to read in just a second, what we're going to see are these 14 different phrases, 14 different couplets that essentially cancel each other out. So a time to be born, a time to die. That's where he starts. He starts with the most broad of, of the, the, the spectrum, life and death. And then everything else is what happens within life and death. So a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to silence, to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And so he gives us these 14 different phrases that in essence 
cancel one another out. You have a time to kill and a time to heal. Those would be essentially opposites, a time to break down and a time to build up. There's, there's this, it almost sounds like what, what Solomon is driving at is the idea of a sine wave. That life on the timeline, which is a, a, pair, a, 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 a line like this, a, a single line, that as life occurs over the timeline, it's in a, in essentially is a sine wave. It's a, a, an alternating current wave, you know, where, where it goes above the line and then it dips below the line. And it goes above the line and it dips below the line. And, 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 and it sounds like that's what he's trying to describe, is that life is a, essentially cyclical. And I think that's kind of what, that, that's the feeling that I get from the bird's song is that they're saying life is a, a cycle. And if you're in a low season right now, the good season is coming. And, and, and they, they put an optimistic spin on it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think we can see that truth, but I don't think that's the full truth that Solomon was driving at. Remember, he's assessing life underneath the sun without God. And essentially what he is saying is that Life is fatalistic. It's the idea of fatalism. It doesn't matter where you are because something else is coming. And if you're on the mountaintop, the valley low is coming. If you're building up now, don't worry. There's a time coming when you will break down. If you are, uh, if you are in a time of peace, don't worry. There is a time of war coming. There's, there's, there, he's in essence saying there's nothing that you can do. Life just happens. It's a, a fatalistic, it's the idea of fatalism. The fatalism is the doctrine that all events are subject to fate or inevitable predetermination. Matt, it doesn't really matter what you do, and, as, and you get the flavor of that from chapters 1 and 2, and that's why I arrive at this conclusion at the beginning of chapter 3, is that's really what he's saying. What difference does it make what I do? All that I've earned, I've got to give away to my son anyway. You know, the generation, four generations from now, aren't, they're not going to remember me. What, what difference does it make? This is the conclusion that the wisest man in the world comes to, that outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're just living solely for this earth, it's worthless. It's, it's up to fate. No matter what we strive for, it's eventually going to be taken away. You know, the, Everything that you own will one day end up in the junkyard. You know, It's just the, the way of life. So then the if that's the conclusion that the wisest man has ever come to, then it makes sense that outside of God, that's the conclusion everyone comes to. Outside of God intervening, outside of his, uh, his, 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 his love for us, the conclusion, the logic that we would use would draw the conclusion that what difference does it make what I do? Because at the end, we're all going to die. So, if there is no hope of resurrection, Paul would say, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Just make the most of this life. And that's what you see, that's the result of fatalism. 
And that's what we see in people's life is if there is no tomorrow, if there is nothing after this life, then everything I need to gain is now. And so I'm going to make the best of this life that I possibly can. And that's what they pursue. And that's why God making the relationship with God makes us such an impact and such a difference in our lives. We said that the book of Ecclesiastes really is the perfect book to give to somebody that's not yet a Christian. Because if that person reads it intently and honestly, they're going to come to the same conclusion about their life as Solomon came to his life outside of God. And they're going to see there's got to be something else. There's got to be, and in fact, Solomon's even going to speak about that shortly. So picking it up then in verse 9. This might be a really short study. We'll see. Verse 9. What profit has the worker from that? And You know, hold on, hold on. Going back up, a couple thoughts. Verse 3. A time to kill and a time to heal. This is in the Word of God. So many, so many people, so many even Christians take issue with the idea that there is a time to kill. Yeah, there is a, a proper time. God sent, you know, God told Saul, wipe out the Amalekites. And it's not, it's not a quick decision on God's part. He was long suffering with them, hoping that they would repent. But there is a time to kill. A time for war? Well, yeah, there is a time for war. That whole thing, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, what's that about, Solomon? Well, in those days, one of the ways that you would hurt the enemy is you would gather stones, and then you would take stones into their fields and lay stones everywhere. That way they couldn't plow. And so there's a time for, for that as well. So... Just, just a couple things I wanted to draw attention to. A time to hate? Really? I thought God was a God of love. There's a time to hate? Yeah, we are, as Christ followers, to hate the things that God hates. It's not people. Sin. So, just some interesting thoughts. All right, now picking it up in verse 9. What prophet has the worker from that in which he labors? I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. So he's saying, everybody, we're all doing the same thing. We get up on Monday morning, we go to work, and we work our 40, we work our 48, we work our whatever it is. The Wilsons work 92 hours a week, and and (laughs) you know, it's just, everybody, I've seen the God-given task in which the sons of men are to be occupied. This is, we are to labor and that continues on in eternity. What's interesting is when we are in eternity, as we are laboring, what's removed is the curse given to us in Genesis chapter 3. So then we will have much more joy in our labor. It's not by the sweat of our brow anymore. It, 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 will, be, it will be a joyful thing. God, God is a creative God. God is a working God, and we are created in His image. Therefore, we are created to work. It's not that we'll be kicking back on the the, the pillow top cloud for the rest of all, eternity, you know, playing the harp and watching college hoops, you know, it's just, uh, that's my picture of heaven. Eating bacon, bacon yeah. 
I was thinking pizza, but yeah, <laughs> pe- bacon, bacon on the on the pizza. Maybe I should start eating before Wednesday night. <laughs> Either way. Um, what I like is the next verse, and we're going to spend probably most of our time on verse 11. I would put a star by it if I were you, in your word, in your Bible, because there's two wonderful points that, that we need to look at in verse 11. First, he, he being God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. All Scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy tells us. Therefore, this line in the middle of the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Christ came, still stands true 2,000 years after Christ came. And even in the midst of all things falling apart in this world, in many ways they are, you turn on the news and we can see the way things are falling apart, this truth stands still. He made everything beautiful in its time. But the key part of that phrase is, in its time. God's timing is perfect and rarely lines up with what we think is right. God's timing is, all is made right in the Lord's perfect timing. God's timing is absolutely perfect. And as I said, very rarely does it line up with what I think is right. But His timing and all things are made beautiful. Isaiah chapter 61 says, God gives beauty for ashes. The eternal one, the one, I love this, the one outside of time works in perfect time. I get geeked out about time. We talked about that on Sunday, right? Twelve thirty-four. You know, I like the one, two, three, four. Whenever I don't even listen to the river, but at ten forty-nine in the morning, I start thinking about the river. Why? Because it's one oh four nine. I get geeked out about time. Uh, sorry, that's the way I am. Maybe because I'm a musician, and all of music is about time. It's having having perfect time. Songs are in three-quarter time, or songs are in four-four time, or two-cut time. And, and the, in order to make a masterpiece as far as music goes, every musician needs to be on time, in time. Time's an essential thing. I, I'm, I'm fascinated with time. And yet, the one whom we serve, the one that we, we give our lives for, exists outside of time. He's eternal, always has been always will be, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, has never changed, exists in eternity, and yet works things out in perfect timing. Everything is made beautiful in its time. And you and I need to get a hold of that and hold on to that truth because the things in our life are not going to necessarily line up with what we, we believe or what we see that to be. We're going to experience things where we go, no, that's not perfect timing, Lord. If your timing was perfect, then I wouldn't be in this situation. And what we need to do is we need to hold God's word above our experiences. The truth of God's word above our experiences. And recognize that he does not make mistakes. 
even with time. Several scriptures I want to draw your attention to, you maybe write these in the margin, about God's perfect timing. It says in Deuteronomy 32, 35, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. Vengeance is mine. The M there is capitalized. Vengeance is the Lord's. And he's saying, I'm going to take care of this in my perfect timing. Their their foot will slip in due time. Trust in me, even though you don't see the victory yet. Trust that his timing is perfect. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. It was at the perfect moment that Christ went to the cross. We've studied the book of Daniel and how perfectly the Passion Week happened. Perfectly ordained, given by a word of prophecy. What was it? 483 years. Is that right? 483 years prior to when it happened. To the day... Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Why? Because in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. God's timing is absolutely perfect. How about Galatians chapter 6, verse 9? It says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. I don't know about you, but I can grow weary in doing good, especially when there seems to be no reward. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for... In due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. At the proper time, in due season. You understand, we don't live in this aggregate society. Anybody, how many of us have gardens? Do it again, one more time. Less than, okay, maybe 10%. We don't, we don't experience what it is to plant the seed and to wait on it very much anymore. We go to Kroger. We get what we need. Yeah, Yeah, these aren't the best tomatoes, but we'll buy them because they're the only tomatoes. You know, there in January, the hothouse Brazilian tastes like cardboard. But they're still on my salad. In due season, we've, we've lost what it means to have to wait on it. And, 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 and know that the ground has to break forth and know that, uh, that the, the seed has to do its work and germinate and, and the flower and then, and then the fruit is produced. We will reap in due season in God's perfect timing. How about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. This eternal one who exists outside of time seems that he is, he is in perfect time, but he's interested in time he's because of we live within the, con- the, the context of time. Uh, Titus chapter 1, Paul begins verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, 
and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of our God and Savior. Paul's like, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Esther, you know, Mordecai tells Esther, who, you were created for such a time as this. One more, 1 Peter chapter 5 and 6, or sorry, chapter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. How many of your problems are due to time? I wouldn't say all of them, because we have relational problems. We have other, other situations. But a lot of our issues yeah. are we don't have enough time. The, the statement, I'm busy, is a, is a statement about time. It's that we don't have enough of it. It's, it, it. So a lot of our issue, a lot of the stress in our life is about time. And the reason we get so upset about it is because we lose sight that God's timing is perfect. And as it said there in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you and everything's going to come about in due time. We need to trust, going back to Ecclesiastes, that he makes everything beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. All will be laid out for us. All will be unfolded to us. Continuing on with the verse, it says, He has also put eternity in their hearts. So that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. He has put eternity in our hearts. So that's interesting. First, he speaks about how God is recognizes that we're on a timeline and that he makes everything beautiful in due time and that he works within the constraints of time at times. But at the same time, he also puts in us the hope of eternity. He, put, he has put in all men the promise of eternity. God has placed in you and I a desire to be outside of time. He places eternity in our hearts. That's what eternity is. Eternity is not a measure of time. Eternity is the removal of time. And so God has placed that desire in every one of us. He created us in his image. And part of that being in the imago dei, the image of God, is that we have eternity in our hearts. Why? Because God is eternal. Always has been, always will be. We find time travel fascinating, don't we? Mm -hmm. I know you guys watch the sci-fi channel, <laughs> right? How many times on my Facebook feed? It's so funny. It's like every third or fourth day, somebody's posting the panel from the DeLorean in Back to the Future, and they say, oh, today's the date that, that you know, uh, what's his name, went, went to. Uh, yeah, he went to, you know, it, it was on my timeline today. What, what is today? June 10th, right? June 10th, 2015, today's the, and I'm like, it, it was the day three days ago, and it was the day a month ago, so which day was it? No, they keep changing the date <laughs> from the movie. But Back to the Future was insanely popular. Doctor Who is insanely popular because we are fascinated with the idea of moving outside of time. Time 
We, we, you know, um, Sherman and Peabody, the, the, for the kids, you know, it's just the, the latest movie. That's, it's all about time travel, right? Sherman and Peabody, right? It's, so, yeah, time travel is fascinating. We, why is it fascinating? Because God's placed eternity in our hearts. How cool would it be to, to zip to which way you want to go, forward or backward? Uh, Jetsons, you know, the, how, or, or, or going back, you know. How far back would you go? Renaissance, 1800s, uh, you know, time of Jesus. I just see you're interested. I, I, I'd try them all. As part of our nature, in the image of God. God has placed eternity in the hearts of all men. We know. Even when we're living under the sun, even when, we're not, when we have, don't have that relationship with God, if you get somebody who will actually be honest with you, they will confess they know there must be something more. There's got to be more than just fatalism. That at the end of life we just simply die. They, they know it. Why do they know it? Because even in a, an ungener, a regenerate heart, the handprint of God is there. The image of God. And eternity rests in all men's hearts. Fatalism just doesn't ring true. It didn't ring true for Solomon either. That's not where he leaves it. So he says in verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good. And you know where I would go back to? I'd go back to chapter, when, we, when I taught chapter one, and I would totally remove the SpongeBob thing. <laughs> we would just, I would erase that. We'd just fix that right there. That was a week Paul wasn't here. That was, you guys, you, those of you who missed it. I, never mind. It's not even, it is erased from the recording. <laughs> we did make sure of that. <laughs> did, no, we left it in, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did leave it in. Lord have mercy. Sorry. It just dawned on me when I would go back to. Verse 12. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. Why? It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. It is, it is by the mercy of God, the provenient grace of God, that anybody is able to enjoy anything. And so if you can find enjoyment in your labor, even that is a gift of God. Even if for the person that does not have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that they're able to enjoy something is a gift of God. It is then also when we have a right relationship with God that we can truly enjoy life. I, told, I think I said it last, last time I taught a couple weeks ago, you know, Pastor Dave, I, there was times I wanted to kick him because... He would say this so often, every meal's a holiday, or every day's a holiday, every meal's a feast. And when you're having a crummy day, that just doesn't make sense. But when you have the perspective of eternity and that God's grace 
has given you the ability to enjoy every day, which I think Dave grasped well. You know, we can truly enjoy God in life. He says in verse 14, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. Just working backwards, because I think the simplest point is men should fear before him. We want to say when, when it speaks of fear, that does not mean trembling and shaking. That means reverence and awe. That we would have a deep respect, a deep appreciation that men would appreciate and, and revere God. Why? Because whatever God does, it's forever. There is no changing it. It's forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. The idea of perfection, which God is perfect. I had to, it took, took me a while to wrap my mind around this. Chew on this a little bit. The idea of perfection indicates permanence. Right? It's the idea that, that it will never change. If it changed, that means it wasn't perfect. Or it's now no longer perfect. Therefore, perfection is unchangeable. It shall be forever, as he said. So perfection indicates permanence. It shall be eternal. It will not falter. It will not fail. It doesn't come short. And anything added to it makes it less than perfect. An addition to perfection is a subtraction. It makes it less than perfect. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's Tullian Tavidian's book. Who? <laughs> maybe, maybe you know who Tullian It's uh, Billy Graham's grandson. He wrote the book, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I just like to say his name, Tavidian. Forget trying to spell it. There are no vowels, yeah. Vanna, could I buy a vowel, please? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If anything could be added or taken away from what Jesus has done, it would then be less than perfection. So many religions, using that term from Sunday morning, add to what Jesus already did. It's Jesus plus you getting baptized is what gets you saved. It's Jesus plus you worshiping on Sunday that gets you saved. It's Jesus plus, well, Jesus plus anything makes what Jesus did less than perfect. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I love that verse 14. I know whatever, that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Verse 15, that which already has been, or that which has already been, and what is to be has already been. Sorry, one more time. That which is has already been, and what is, what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. Okay, what is he saying there? That which is, has been, and what is to be has been, 
is he speaking cyclically here? You know, we, we, the way we would say it, history repeats itself, yeah. right? That, that, that the patterns of history tend to roll over and we can see patterns within the cycle of history. Is that exactly what he's saying here? Eh, maybe. I think probably better. It's the idea that God exists outside of time. And so therefore, that which already is, was, and shall be forevermore. One day, for those of us, well, that we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are going to live for eternal, eternity. One day, we are going to exist outside of time. You ready for a mind blow? <laughs> uh, this is not Calvary Chapel doctrine. This is just me thinking. You can dismiss this if you want to. You can chew it on if you want to. Perhaps those who have gone before us into paradise are currently experiencing paradise with us. Perhaps those who have gone before are currently experiencing paradise with us. That was in between cups of coffee. and uh... <laughs> The idea is, I don't even know if I want to try to figure this out. If, if what eternity is, is being removed from time, then and there is no measure of time, then when do we get placed into eternity? We always have been. We have to finish this life. We have to finish our timeline. But it's not like at you know, June 10th, 2015, we go up and then the timeline continues in his presence. I don't know. That's too much for a Wednesday night. It sounded good when I wrote it. Bob? Let's go back in time, maybe just erase that from the tape. <clears throat> now, just chew on that. Who knows? We shall be caught up in the air. We shall see him face to face. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't know, I don't know that people experiencing paradise, we've always said it that way. Like they're, they're waiting on the edge of heaven, Right? Looking down, peering down onto earth and just saying, oh, I can't wait till you guys get up here and see this. I don't think it's necessarily that way. I think they're experiencing paradise with us already there, perhaps. Outside of time. There you go. That and a nickel will get you a cup of coffee. Yeah, where? <laughs> 1955. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, and he, cha- he kind of changes the, he turns the corner here and, and now speaks again about life here uh, underneath, under, life under the sun. He says in verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, Iniquity was there, 
So he's experiencing what we've all experienced, and that is that where there was supposed to be justice, wickedness is found. Where there's supposed to be what's right, iniquity is found. And it's because of sin that justice underneath the sun is corrupt. Right? We've all experienced that in one way or another. Be it the, 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 the innocent person ends up going to jail or the guilty person gets out of jail or what have you, that justice underneath the sun is faulty at best. And that's Solomon saying, yeah, I experienced that in, in, in my quest as well. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time and a purpose or there is a time, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. So we need to, in the midst of corruption, in the midst of things not going the way we think that they should, in the midst of wondering what God's timing is, we need to hold on to the truth that He makes all things beautiful. It takes faith to believe that when you see something else. And you know what? It's always going to take faith. Underneath the sun, it's always going to take faith. God will never be proven scientifically. It will always take a measure of faith in order to believe in Him. So we need to trust that He's going to make all things beautiful. Verse 18, I said in my heart concerning the condition of these sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they have all, all have one breath. Man has no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. The conclusion Solomon comes to in his quest for all of this, as he looks at fatalism, life outside of the realm of God, is that we are no better than the animals. Huh. I thought evolution was a new thing. <laughs> and Solomon is saying, you know, hundreds of years before Christ came, that's the conclusion of fatalism is that we are no better than the animals. Paul kind of picks up on the idea in Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, verse 20, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Do you hear that verse? They exchanged the, uh, the glory of the incorruptible God, they, 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 they suppressed that we are made in the, as men, we are made differently than the animals. We are made in the image of God. They suppressed that, and then they exchanged that and made an image like a corruptible man that we begin to worship one another. We see man, man worship all over the place, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. 
Therefore God also gave them up to their uncleanness and the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So just finishing up the thought back in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, all go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? The answer to that question, God. Who knows? God knows. That's who. Man is distinct in all that is created because we are created in the image of God. He has his handprint, his thumbprint on our hearts. He has eternity in our hearts. So I perceived last verse that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage, for who can bring him to see what will happen after him? <laughs> he finishes with the idea of time. Who, can, who will bring him to see what will happen after? We can't see tomorrow. Any of us know? Are, are we dying tomorrow? Anybody know for sure? No. Why? Because we can't see it. We're limited by time. So it's a step of faith to say that God makes all things beautiful. But when we're in the eternal, as He is always in the eternal, then it's all going to make sense. It's all going to be unfolded for us. And so he says there in verse 22, the best thing that we can do is rejoice in our works. For us to rejoice in our works properly, our works are to be for the glory of God. Therefore, let your light shine so that people may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.16 That's where we can rejoice greatly. So that's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Turned into a cute little song in 1967. Turn, turn, turn. I don't think, like I said, I don't think that was necessarily Solomon's heart. He's saying that life outside of a relationship with God is vain. But life with a relationship with God is glorious. Is, is glorious. Not just now, but for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have placed in our hearts eternity. Lord, that we can see that if, if, if all life is is under the sun, then it's pitiful. But in you, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that Jesus, you made on the cross in due time and perfect time, you have redeemed the sons of men. And that all who would believe, all who would place their faith in the work of Jesus Christ can spend eternity with you. What a glorious gift. What a wonderful thing that our sins would be removed, that we would be washed and purified, justified before a just God. A day is coming, Lord, when you will make all things right. You will make all things beautiful. We trust in that. 
We love you, Lord, as we're about to sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.